Hi, this is Alan K. Rohde, author and film historian, and you are listening to Tim Millard's podcast, The Extras. Hello and welcome to The Extras, where we take you behind the scenes of your favorite TV shows, movies, and animation. And they're released on digital, DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K, or your favorite streaming site. I'm Tim Millard, your host. And joining me is George Feldenstein to review some recent film releases from the Warner Archive. Hi, George. Hi, Tim. How are you? Good, good. Well, good. I know that we've been doing reviews and it's been a packed few months with the end of the last year and New Year. But we had a few from November, December, and then releasing here just recently in January that we didn't get to review. And so today we're going to kind of get caught up, so to speak. That way we're ready for all of the huge amount of releases you have planned for February and March and into the rest of the year. So I thought we would start first off with this animated film, Rover Dangerfield, which is the only animated film we'll be talking about today. I really enjoyed it. I didn't know much about this one because it had all the trademark Rodney Dangerfield humor. Now it's toned down and it was more family friendly than I had originally expected, but I guess that probably makes it, you know, more of a film that you can watch with your kids or grandkids. And the adults know the Dangerfield humor, but the the kids can just enjoy the story. Oh, absolutely. It's very interesting, uh, the background of this, because from what I understand, the original concept that Rodney Dangerfield had for this film was to be more along the lines of Caddyshack-style humor, meaning R-rated. Right. And the studio didn't want to go in that direction because there was, as there still is this prejudice, oh, it's animated, it's for kids. Right. I think um, that was in the early 90s. We have a little bit of a different sensibility now, thanks to... South Park and Family Guy and, you know, other things. The Simpsons. um, That's what they wanted, a family product. The animation studio that produced this, Hyperion Studios, they had done an independent animated feature that was very, very highly regarded called The Brave Little Toaster. So the people who were responsible for that uh, were the people responsible for collaborating with Rodney on this film. And for people who like Rodney Dangerfield and the other things about the film that are very charming and funny, this film is another one of those pictures that didn't create a thunderstorm at the box office, but subsequent availability on video cassette in the 90s and people watching it on HBO in the 90s. There are people who are now in their 40s and 50s who grew up watching this movie who want to share it with their kids. It's similar to what we felt with Cats Don't Dance. So, you know, we want to make these things available. And uh, now here it is on Blu-ray and it looks and sounds terrific. And uh, a lot of people still are big Rodney Dangerfield fans. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, there's, of course, a whole resurgence of interest in the 80s and 90s and music and film from that era. And of course, that's his time. When he was in, uh, what you know, back to school and just so many <laughs> Caddyshack and all these great movies. And uh, so it's great to see him, uh, you know, being enjoyed by people today. And I think that this, you know, you're right. It, it doesn't have that edginess 
of uh, some of the newer stuff. But that kind of came after this film came out. And so, uh, you know, it's a product of its time. And the animation was more family oriented at that point. And then you have a couple of uh, terrific Warner Brothers cartoons on here and the theatrical trailer. So that's a great, uh, just a kind of a great package for people who want to collect and continue to collect all of the animation from the 80s and 90s that you've been releasing. Well, I'm, I'm really happy about that. It's always a nice touch. And those are two cartoons that dog lovers will appreciate. So right. it seemed like a really good fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- this was really delightful. So I really enjoyed that. Well, that came out on January 30th. And the other, the next one we're going to talk about came out the same day. And that's also from 1990s. This is from 1996. And that's Joe's Apartment. And that is the first film, is that right, of uh, that MTV Films released? Yes, it is. It had been a long time since I'd seen that film. And it's just bonkers. I mean, it's really <laughs> crazy with the cockroaches and the just the whole 90s style, the music, the rock posters on his bedroom, <laughs> being in a band, you know, and he's moving to New York. It's really a riot and a lot of fun. Well, I think it's a lot of fun, too. I've always liked it. It's very dark humor. Yeah. And it was perfect for the time period and representative of MTV exploring their role in making films. It would be, I guess, seven or eight years later, maybe more. I'm not sure exactly the time. But, um, you know, the Jackass movies, they really started to kick it in terms of what they were doing in terms of what they were bringing to the theatrical experience. But this was their first one, and it was based on a short film made by the same filmmaker. And we don't have rights to that short film, but we uh, obviously have rights to this feature. What I really love about it is it bursts genres. It's a comedy. It kind of has a fantasy, twisted sensibility to it. And it even has a musical sensibility to it. Right. It's, it's really cool. And it's also a picture of New York almost 30 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. And it's just got, you know, with the cockroaches in there, it has, I don't know, they, it, they all have character, obviously, and they have voices and they have their own personalities. But it's just one of those that the later it is at night that you watch it, I think the funnier it is. And it's, I'm sure, you know, obviously a cult classic because of that. So uh, it looks great in this new restoration. And then it has a, a nice amount of uh, extras that you've put on here. Well, in in picking some cartoons to go with this, I had to not match time, which is something we usually try to do. And there are some cartoons from the late 90s on there. But the cartoon, The Lady in Red, is all about cockroaches. Right. So that's why we put that on there. And I I got a kick out of that. It's a little bit of an in-joke, but (laughs) we were very happy with that. And the restoration of this wonderful, you know, cult film uh, is really important because we have gotten a lot of requests for this movie. It's another one of those films that wasn't a box office blockbuster, but built up a cult following after years of being on TV and home video. 
So they get a pristine presentation is the goal. And it's been very well received. The fans are really happy. And that's what we aim for. And I think it's really fun. I mean, so many people want to pigeonhole the Warner Archive, right, into classics only. But I love it when you have the opportunity to release these kind of more modern cult films. And it's under the same banner. And it, this is a great example of that. And there's a huge audience for a Blu-ray of this film. Yes. And, and the restoration and the packages that you put together there at the Warner Archive. You know, it's not just, it's not just putting the movie out. You get the extras on there so that it's a nice package for everybody. So, uh, It's also a film with really, really good uh, music of the era. Right. You know, it's like the, the grunge era of music. So it, it's um, gratifying that uh, we got a lot of notes via Facebook and so forth about how, how grateful people were then that they were going to buy this. We also were able to add some of the cartoons that Chuck Jones did when he came back to the studio, which meant a lot to me because that was a, a triumphant return and he was treated with such appropriate reverence by the management at Warner Brothers who were so grateful for what he had created in his earlier years. So the studio basically gave him carte blanche to make whatever cartoons he might want to make. And so you've got From Here to Eternity and Superior Duck. And they're good. And it's great to see a young Jerry O'Connell in this oh, yeah. film. Yeah, because he's terrific at it. And I was just thinking, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he play the grown-up... In young Sheldon, Sheldon. I, I, yeah, he plays Georgie. Yeah, he plays Georgie. Yeah, he played it. He played it in the Big Bang Theory first. Yes, yes, that's where you saw it. Yeah, and, and I got to meet. I got to meet him when we were. Uh, I got to meet him when we were doing an extra on that episode, and he was a riot. He was having such a great time. It was, it was really fun to see him. Um, after you know. Obviously, yeah, and everybody star. thinks of him as the little boy in Stand By Me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of time has passed since then. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a link to the Big Bang Theory and then and then young Sheldon uh, to that character. So uh, I had to just bring that up out of left field here. But <laughs> it's a good field. They, yeah. they they shoot right across the, the walkway from my office. So. Right. Right. And I know you and I are, are huge fans of both those shows. Yes, so. we are. Well, next up, we have uh, a couple of films that released in December, and I thought we could talk about uh, Saving Grace first, and that's from 2000. So I think that is the most recent film of the ones that we're talking about. I don't remember seeing this in the theaters, but in watching it, I thought this is a really sweet, really funny film with two terrific performances by Craig Ferguson. And Brenda Blethyn. She's terrific. She is terrific. I mean, she is. I won't want to say that she is the movie because everybody in the movie is terrific. Right. But um, this was a particular point in time where people were really noticing her. And Craig Ferguson at that time was a regular on the Drew Carey show. Right. Which I used to watch so, all the time. So I loved him. Yeah, he was terrific. And for an art film, because this went out through New Line's Fine Line Films division, 
this performed well. This is one of those art films that was actually profitable globally. Right. It was very popular because it had universal themes and you really relate to the characters. Craig Ferguson didn't just star in the movie, he co-wrote it. So I think this was probably a passion project of some sort, but it's just a testament to everybody involved in the film. It is delightful. Yeah, and and I don't think of Craig as a, you know, writers so much, but in seeing that, I thought that was terrific. And he's obviously very talented. I mean, he has Without his own. question. And yeah, he you know, when, when he took over the uh, the Late Late Show, right? he took it over from Craig Kilborn, I think. And he really established himself away from just what you knew on the Drew Carey Show, or if you were lucky enough to see this movie, which I did see in the theater, and I liked it very, very much. I think that uh, that writing experience or, or his ability to write really helps when you do The Late Show, obviously. Without question, he yeah. he kind of elevated it, and then of course when um, when James Corden took over the show, he elevated that show a whole other level. But right. he couldn't have done it without the groundwork that Craig Ferguson had set. Had set. Right. So uh, I would urge anybody blindly to take a chance on this movie, and that they'll be very pleased with it because it is really heartwarming, life affirming funny, charming, and real. The characters are very real. Yes. And it's been nominated or won numerous awards uh, from that era. And so it also has that stamp of, of uh, you know, respectability to it. But it's just a delight. It's just fun. Most of the film, you're smiling because it just got that light touch humor. And the plot, of course, and the twists are really fun as well. And we won't give away anything there. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was, uh, it was really, really fun to watch. And then the transfer looks terrific. This is another case where we'll be able to put a new coat of paint on it, on a work and really make it look lovely. And I was very, very happy about that. I I can't believe it's been 24 years since the movie came out. Yeah. (laughs) And we're talking about a movie that released in 2000. Right. That seems like it was just yesterday, but uh, at 24 years old, it uh, it obviously is, you know, it's getting there now. Uh, yep. You also have a couple audio commentaries, which I thought were, you know, made for a lot of uh, terrific extras on here. Well, it gives you a perspective from the performers as well as the writers. Right. And uh, we're very fortunate to be able to add that to the disc. And it's uh, something we're very, very proud of. And it's been well-received by the fans. It is sold nicely, and that's always what we like. So uh, hopefully we can continue to, as we keep our focus on the classics, we can still also keep our focus on the rare and hard to find, which is part of our mission statement. This is one of those films that sort of drifted into being forgotten after having been modestly successful in in its initial release. Right. So we're very grateful for that. Yep. Well, the other December release happens to come out of uh, England as well. And that's the, uh, I guess the name here in the U.S., A Midwinter's Tale from 1995. (laughs) This is delightful. I I was a thespian in high school. Anybody who's ever acted or tried to act or supported local theater or big theater, I mean, it's a terrific 
view in kind of behind the scenes. A romp would be maybe a good word for it because it goes all over the place and the characters are so unique and fun. It is a lot of fun and it really is a film not very many people know about and they need to know about it because it's so good. And in a way, it's kind of like the British version of the kind of films that Christopher Guest was making. You know, it's a docu, a fake docu. And if you love the theater and you're part of the theater, it's very, very inside. This really happened around right before he released his Hamlet, which was kind of like his big, you know, uh, he had directed it. He had done Henry V in 1989, and that really put him on the map. But he was really kind of a wunderkind in the mid-90s. And before his 70 millimeter Hamlet came out, a year before Castle Rock brought A Midwinter's Tale to the U.S., the real title of the film in the U.K. was In the Bleak Midwinter. Right. And what's interesting is we planned this remaster. We were working on this remaster. We had announced the Blu-ray was coming. And we found out about two weeks before the Blu-ray hit the street that there was a screening of the film in the UK with all the original cast members and Kenneth Branagh doing a Q&A after the screening. I think they did get a DCP for the screening from the new master we made, but we actually had to send over a Blu-ray disc as a backup in case the DCP didn't make it in time. But importantly, that night apparently was one that was not recorded and many people didn't know about it. And I saw so much written about how great an evening it was and how much people love the film. And they loved our new master, which made me very happy. There's just so much affection for the film and I'm hoping that it gets better known. Because anybody who's involved in the theater, and if you're a Shakespearean fan or or really immersed in Shakespearean knowledge about, about it, his work, which I'm really not, but I know so many people who are, so many of my friends from college were Shakespearean actors. The humor to them is twice as impactful. We put it out on DVD when Warner Archives started because it hadn't even had a DVD release for 10, 12 years that DVD was around before Warner Archive started. So it was that specialized. But again, we don't want to leave behind these smaller films that may get overlooked and to give us a brand new master and make it look wonderful and present it well. That was a real joy. And I know a lot of people have been very happy with the release. That's terrific. It's too bad somebody... Didn't get a chance to kind of record that, of course, but uh, it just shows kind of the uh, love for working on the project, you know, that everybody would come back together and do something like that. I don't know if they did much ad-libbing, but that's the style that they portray, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was. It, it had a lot of improv. It had a lot okay. of... It's very much similar to movies like Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show, that you know, right, right, right. guest films, which I love, Mighty Wind. This is 
to Shakespeare what those films are to their related subjects. And it's just tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And uh, anybody who's a fan of, you know, all those areas that you just mentioned, Shakespeare, Kenneth Branagh. And of course, even Joan Collins is in here. She she plays. Yeah, you get agent. Jennifer Saunders and Joan Collins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite the lineup, and uh, you get to see them all in a in a little bit different way. So it's a lot of fun. So I know there's got to be a huge audience out there for this. They just need to know, hey, there's a new Blu-ray out, so they can really appreciate it. Um, Absolutely, because it just doesn't get talked about these kinds of of films sometimes. Well, to wrap this up, uh, we have a couple more films from November going all the way back. That we just didn't get to. And they each have their kind of cult status and fan base as well. Uh, and I thought the first one we could talk about is Rapa Nui from 1994. And it was directed by Kevin Reynolds. And I really just enjoyed this film. It has fine acting and action. It has beautiful visuals. And the story is really quite interesting. Well, and it was also filmed on location and it's a gorgeous film to look at. Yes. And this was very much a passion project. You know, we've been talking about a lot of those. Right. But the whole issue of Easter Island and those people and their culture is really dealt with as honestly as possible. Kevin Costner's production company, Tig Productions, they were behind this movie. Kevin Costner and Kevin Reynolds had worked together obviously before. I don't think this movie could have gotten made without Kevin Costner's involvement. And the year after they collaborated on Waterworld, which was a whole other kind of movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, the acting in here, Jason Scott Lee, he was coming off of uh dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Right. He, he, well, he looks the part obviously, and he does a terrific job in it. Then you have uh, Isai Morales. He played in La Bamba. They love the same woman, Sandra Holt. It's got the rivalry. It's got, like I said before, the action to it, which I really enjoyed. And it keeps the pace of the, the film really going. So, And then the historical context that, uh, that it has really is quite, quite interesting. Yeah, this is another film that we were getting people on the forums and whatnot. When are you going to release Rapa Nui? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it looks Because there's an audience out there that's passionate about different things. We want to try to be able to reach all those audiences. Yeah, exactly. Last film here that I thought we could talk about is also from November, and that's the romance In Love and War, and that was from 1996. And it stars... Two 1990s actors at the peak of their popularity. That's for sure. Chris O'Donnell had just played Robin in Batman Forever the year before. And the year after, he was in Batman and Robin. And Sandra Bullock had just come off of doing the film Speed a year or two before that. And then While You Were Sleeping. So they were just at the peak of their, of their popularity in 96 when they came together to do this film. It doesn't quite match the level of maybe of some of those in terms of the popularity, but I think for fans of romantic films, this has got a lot of merits and and it's fun to see these two stars together. Yeah, Sandra Bullock's following is very significant and she's made so many great movies. This is another film that we got a lot of requests for, but it's also directed by Richard Attenborough, 
who has had quite an impressive resume of both as an actor and a director. And given that it's about Ernest Hemingway and his youth, there's that angle as well. So it seemed like a perfect choice to add to the palette as we try to bring films of the recent past as well as the distant past. And it looks marvelous. It's a beautiful disc. Yeah, and I guess the point I was trying to get at is you're going to get Batman Forever and Batman and Robin released, and you're going to get Speed released and While You Were Sleeping. And it's great that the Warner Archive can take this smaller film like this so that fans of these actors and of this genre uh, and Richard Attenborough, you know, can add this to their collection and see it in Blu-ray because uh, the new master looks very good. I mean, it's a beautifully shot film. We were delighted with how well it turned out because it was beautifully photographed. The new master really shows how much care went into the imagery and taking you back almost a hundred years, you know, um, yeah. to World War One. Also, really, the poignant feelings between the two characters, and that's based on Hemingway's memoirs. So it's uh, partially nonfiction, if you will. Right. Uh, but it's 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 certainly a fine fine film, and we were delighted to be able to release it. Well, there are six films that we just never got around to talking about, but they all have, you know, their fans. And it's great that the Warner Archive is able to bring them out on Blu-ray. And it's great that you and I could talk about it so that those people who are not as aware of these films can get a little context and a little understanding. And hopefully we've recommended and talked about them in a way that uh, will interest people. Absolutely. As always, I will have purchase links in the podcast show notes and on our website for those interested in purchasing the titles that we reviewed today. And taking a look ahead, we will have our reviews of the Hanna-Barbera Superstars 10, which released in late February, and the classic TV series Colt 45, which releases in early March. And Jerry and George will be back to talk about Looney Tunes Collector's Choice Volume 3 when it comes out in March. So lots of good stuff there. If you aren't yet subscribed or following the show at your favorite podcast provider, you may want to do that so that you don't miss any of these exciting episodes coming up. Until next time, you've been listening to Tim Millard. Stay slightly obsessed. Hi, this is Tim Millard, host of the Extras Podcast. And I wanted to let you know that we have a new private Facebook group for fans of the Warner Archive and Warner Brothers catalog physical media releases. So if that interests you, you can find the link on our Facebook page or look for the link in the podcast show notes.